0: You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, sponsored by Starburst Magazine. And my name's Suki Kark, and I'm pronouncing it correctly because these Muppets don't know how to. simon and we are going to start off with an email from steve from manchester very briefly he says as kierkegaard says series six has to be watched forwards."
1: <laughs> i should start that again rewind
0: as kierkegaard says series six has to be watched forwards but can only be understood backwards which is fine if you don't mind 13 unfulfilling Saturdays getting there. Ooh. Harsh, but fair. Maybe so. We are going to be talking about Series 6. Well, we're going to be talking about the 2011 run of episodes, which is Series 6 and the Christmas special. And we're probably, I mean, we'll see how it goes, Mm. but we're almost certainly going to split this into two episodes because there's 12 stories to get through. So I should think we'll probably do six tonight and six on another occasion. So let's have a really depressing email to kick off with.
1: <laughs> Happy days.
0: What uh, have we done wrong, Sucky? No, Sucky Kark says, Matt Smith's second full season was just as mad as his first. Was it confusing? Yes, only because there was a lot of assumption on the audience's behalf where they had to fill in the gaps of where the overall narrative arc was going. Visually it was great, the spooky castle setting in the Ganger episodes and the epic scale of When a Good Man Goes to War. But there are episodes that were just there as a hook, such as The Impossible Astronaut and Let's Kill Hitler. I understand that, I understand that these had to be done for the casual audience to be attracted to watch the start of the season and mid-season, but they were sometimes very confusing, but they were very sometimes... I'm really struggling here, don't I? <laughs> But they were sometimes very confusing as to what was going on. And then Suki says, I've only seen most of this season once, so I might have missed loads. The episodes I have watched a couple of times were The Doctor's Wife, the Neil Gaiman episode, that really brought tears to my eyes at the end, and The Girl Who Waited, which was an awesome performance by Karen Gillen as the older version of Amy. Well, that's two, two stories that we're probably not going to get to tonight, so we'd better move on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Series six. Now, Mark. Yes. You prefer series five. I do. Whereas I'm completely the opposite
1: way around. Well, you're a contrary person, aren't you? Well, I'm only contrary to you. (laughs) I formulated my own opinion. I am the only person who likes series five in the entire universe. (laughs) Well, you know, it is a bit like the last episode we did,
0: which was, you know, the Marmite, the series seven, Mm -hmm. uh, season 17 versus season 18. Yeah. There is a bit of that with Series 5 and 6 with Stephen Moffat. It's one of those ones where a lot of people who are impressed with Season 5, Series 5, then thought Series 6 was a disappointment. Mm. Whereas a lot of people who thought that coming after Russell T. Davis, Series 5 was a bit of a disappointment because it didn't seem to know what it was, then thought Series 6 was better because it was Stephen Moffat more sure-footed. But I guess that depends on whether you're a big fan of Russell T. Davis, I suppose. Mm. Because I guess Stephen Moffat does things differently. And I think you... Certainly it's true for me that I was a big fan of Russell T. Davis. And I think Stephen Moffat's first series was kind of a halfway house. And now I'm a big fan of Stephen Moffat because he's doing the Stephen Moffat thing whereas in Series 5 I think he kind of wasn't really sure what he was doing Mm, mm. but I guess he was doing other things instead which is perhaps what somebody like you Mark would Mm. have can you say why you think Series
1: 6 was a bit of a disappointment after Series 5 then I think I was possibly suffering from um (sighs) Getting kind of cheesed off with arcs. Uh, I don't mind having arcs throughout the series, but when you get to the end of series five and that's just showing that it's partway through that arc and it's only really towards the end of series six that those arcs start to pay off.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. that you
1: know, It's dragging it out a bit for me. And that's I, the thing. You want to feel hmm. slightly rewarded. And I personally just enjoyed the stories in season five series five more than series six <laughs> yeah we're gonna be doing that
0: all night aren't we? yep. <laughs> no we're not because in a minute we're gonna get down and start talking about the stories
2: Why about you simon series five or series six <sighs> i think i warmed to series five quicker than the series six um there's a point where you say yeah okay yeah that's clever yeah that's clever that's clever
0: it's clever. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's quite clever.
0: But and that's uh, what you think was going on in series six.
2: I do. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's like Mark was saying. I've got nothing. I've got nothing against having these little things planted. You're thinking, what's going on there? I hope I get. You know, I hope I get the answers, and I hope I get rewarded for keeping watching. Um, but it didn't feel like the rewards were coming quick enough.
0: Yeah, but that's why I prefer Series 6, because in Series 6, you were getting the rewards. You did find out, at the end of A Good Man Goes to War, who River Song was. Yes. And then in Let's Kill Hitler, you did find out a whole lot more about the story of how River Song got to be where she was. And then in The Wedding of River Song, you did find out what the whole arc was about and the River Song
2: thing. But in Series 5, you didn't get answers to anything. But I I don't think... But I think the pacing was better in Series 5. Mm. And I do like River Song as a character, but I just got a bit fed up with hearing about River Song by the end of Series yeah. 6. I tell you just... what, I do wish. I wish she'd um, stayed as Melody a bit longer. Mm. The original, or the uh, the incarnation we met, Yeah, I thought was really, I really mm. liked her, actually. Yeah. And she disappeared all too quickly. But <clears throat> While we're on a thoroughly uplifting note, here's Raph
0: Edwards. <laughs> A few comments about the 2011 episodes. Both the last couple of Christmas episodes have been utter drivel, in my opinion. Wishy-washy nonsense and a real letdown for two consecutive Christmas days. I actually fell asleep and missed the 2010 one, which is unheard of for a non-drinker like me. Christmas episodes should be the action-packed, monster- and adrenaline-filled replacements for 007 and the Indiana Jones of yesteryear Christmas days not long-drawn-out tedium ending in some sort of snowing alternative my wife likes doctor who even the eighties ones but she thinks they have turned into soap operas and are just fashionable to watch rather than actually any good i agree and think this applies to the series as a whole it started with the end of david Tennant's era the regeneration episode where he went to say good to everyone who was To everyone was such a load of sickening dross and completely out (laughs) of the normal regeneration, it ruined it for me. Bring back Legopolis's simplicity, kill him off, and get the new one in, in my opinion. The story arcs have become so complex and ridiculous under Stephen Moffat that they have ruined the actual series as a whole, and you can't actually enjoy the episodes as a standalone episode anymore, as they are just filled with overcomplicated threads. I'm all for a story arc, but having watched series 18 and some of 19, the four episodes' mini-stories worked really well. I enjoyed the first series with Christopher Eccleston more than any of the subsequent series. It was fresh, full of energy, and enjoyable. Yes, the Bad Wolf connection was a bit bollocks, but it generally worked, (laughs) and had enough new ideas to make it a great series. Other than Blink, which is by far the best Doctor Who episode ever made, none of the rest have lived up to it. And I'm afraid all I saw from 2011 was the imminent downfall of Doctor Who. Stephen Moffat will be the last Doctor Who producer, I expect, as it's just not fun to watch anymore. It has become a chore to watch, full of the same old enemies and nothing new. I don't want to see more Weeping Angels, their second episode ruined the first one. Anyway, I'll still watch 2012, but if it is as bad as 2011, it could be the last we watch in our house. Even the kids have lost interest now, and it's a pity as Matt Smith could be a great doctor. But thank God Rory and Amy are going, because their soap opera has ruined it. However, if it's another EastEnders episode, I won't be watching it. (laughs) Riversong could also have been a great addition to the series dipping in and out, but this arc has also been ruined by last year's chaotic and ridiculous story arc. I heard Peggy Mitchell and Pat Butcher are making an episode in 2013 smiley face <laughs> and then he says well you did ask me what i
2: thought about 2011 fair enough well it's a good reference point we can pull back from that can't we mm. it's fairly fairly extreme um, <clears throat> well we have or i have here on a piece of paper
0: what we usually do when we do a series is the four of us vote in order of preference how much we like the stories and then we do them in reverse order of how they came out. Mm-hmm. So they start with the one we like the least and we work up to the one we like the best. Now, obviously, if we're only going to do six stories tonight, we're going to end up at the halfway point. But, you know, that's okay. I think we can talk about the lesser stories in 2011 for one episode and then have another episode talking about the good ones. So the story we voted into last place.
1: Mm.
0: Well, actually, it was a tie between two stories. Oh, really? 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 I'm surprised. So I am going to say that one of those two stories was... Mark's spoiling it for himself by looking at my piece of paper.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't resist.
0: Go on then, Mark. What's one of those two stories?
1: Well, the one we voted last was The Doctor, The Widow, and The Wardrobe. Oh, right. Really? What did you think of it? Dull. I've had no... I've had no uh,
2: inspiration to watch it again. Really? Since... Um, there were some lovely ep- um elements to it. Good cast, fantastic mm. cast, but it just didn't seem to. He was doing all the usual tricks, even even the things like you know, uh, the Doctor sort of saying, "Isn't it great? Isn't it great? Is that what he was saying again?" I'm trying to remember. Oh God knows. Yeah, the <laughs> the little things that were going on. Um, the kind of Narnia thing. Why there seems to be this obsession? with doing... Tying it into a novel. Yeah, basically. yeah. Why, why do baby. Narnia? Why do... I don't know. I don't know. It just... And, and again, the design of it, it looked lovely. There were lovely elements. I liked Bill Bailey in it. Um, I liked the shit. Was he in it? Yeah, very
1: briefly. <laughs> and, yeah. He's Annabelle, no actor, though. So probably a good job. He was well, in it for two months. Well, yeah. Yeah, it was. had to shoehorn in the old Androzani mention. Yes, mm. which was...
2: That's not a bad
1: thing necessarily. It wasn't a
2: bad thing. It wasn't. It wasn't particularly bad, but it just it didn't really mean anything life. To the story, did
0: it? It was just a case of no. no just, but you're talking about the story when you say it wasn't particularly that bad. It just wasn't particularly anything.
2: No, no, and certainly as a Christmas episode, as a blockbusting episode, it really wasn't. Um, I tell you and what, the ending was really. I tell you, know, you what, wasn't predictable. There. A threat. No. Stephen Moffat does not do villains.
0: Mm, mm. In fact, can we think of any story written by Stephen Moffat in which there is a villain other than Hitler getting booted into a cupboard four minutes <laughs> into the episode?
2: <laughs> um, There's Madame yeah. but She's yeah. just
0: working on behalf of the silence and we don't even really hear from them. No. She's just like a sidekick. Mm. So I guess there's in Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who a bit of a black hole
2: where the villainy should be. Yeah, yeah. Be and, interesting to see if he brought the, if he brought the master back. What he would do with him? Probably have well, been working alongside the doctor in the end or something.
0: That's, see, that's what I I'm really interested to see. And this episode's going to go long out after this episode's been on telly. After this story's been on telly, so mm-hmm. this is all wibbly wobbly timey wimey for you. But we're recording this just before Asylum of the Daleks. Stephen Moffat's not only never written a villain; he's also never written. One of the big series monsters. No. Well, properly, he had a few Daleks in and uh, Cybermen and whatnot in the big, uh, the Pandorica Opens. But he didn't write that episode about them and for them, and they didn't do mm. much in it. Asylum of the Daleks will be the first time Stephen Moffat properly does one of the big
1: old series monsters mm. in one of his own episodes. I saw him being interviewed, and he mentioned, somebody asked him about how he came up with the uh, Weeping Angels for Blink. And he said that he'd originally intended them to be used in the Silence in the Library story. Um, and he was—he said that he was originally asked to do the Dalek two-parter for that year. Yeah, and so. then he couldn't do it, so he offered to do the, Dr. Light story, the Doctor Light story—the Doctor Light story that no one wanted to do. So Stephen
0: <laughs> Moffat could have been the writer on Daleks in Manhattan. Mm. Now, there would have been something interesting. (laughs) That's a lucky escape. (laughs) Oh, I think Daleks in Manhattan's underrated. But that's for another time. We're supposed to be talking about the Doctor, the Widow in the Wardrobe. We are, aren't we? I'm just trying not to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I wrote about it, obviously, after it went out. And what I said about it was I didn't think it was a bad Doctor Who story. But just that it was a bad Doctor Who story for anybody over the age of about five.
2: Yes. Mm,
0: Because it's kind of Doctor Who CBeebies style. Yeah, yeah. It's got the big wooden man who walks about. There's not much threat. There's aeroplanes. There's kids running around in the snow. And it's got a really sugary, sweet, saccharine ending where everything comes good. But there's not really a serious villain, so there's nothing too scary about it. And there's I love the things growing stuff. on
2: the trees. Yeah, it's... and and mm. again, there was no payoff. That didn't. I thought, oh, something really. W- I I had better ideas in my head of what was going on than what actually happened in the story. Yeah, and that's... that and that's where you think, right? I think
0: there's no surprises. If uh, Stephen Moffat had kind of overwritten himself during the course of series six, because he did a lot of really arc-heavy episodes, mm. and mm. they
1: do take a lot of work because he, was he was writing sherlock as well at the same time wasn't he yeah
0: but with an arc heavy episode you are thinking not just of the episode you're writing but the one you wrote three episodes ago and the one you're going to write in three episodes time and you really really have to concentrate when you write that stuff you've got a lot of stuff to hold in your head and so dr widow and the word wardrobe is first episode he's had since Oh, The Beast Below, two years previously, Mm. which is not an arc-heavy episode. And I just wonder if he was kind of a bit burnt out. Mm. Mm. You know, not to the extent where he wouldn't be able to write anymore, because Asylum of the Daleks looks like it's going to be excellent. Mm. But just at the time he sat down to write Doctor, Widow and Wardrobe, was he just out of
2: inspiration? I mean, we're three... Older blokes sitting in the front room, and at the end of the day, it's all about the the target audience, which is the kids. But I don't even think the kids really got much from it either. Uh, I that's, think that's the bottom line, isn't it? Do you know you Bums can have Doctor Who
0: for everybody, but like I said, Doctor the Widow in the Wardrobe, Widow in the Wardrobe, seems
1: to me for the under fives. Mm, even the title if, is well, by the time you get to the end of the story, there's no Doctor really because he's the caretaker. There's no widow because she's got her husband back and there's no bloody wardrobe either. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <clears throat> um, shall we uh,
1: move on? It Sorry, looked, I'm a miserable old. I have to say so-so. it looked lovely.
2: Yeah, it did yeah. really. I mean, the effects guys really shone, didn't they? Hmm. But
0: um, You know, I did go back and rewatch it a few days after it was first on because even though I hadn't liked it much when it was on, I thought, you know, sometimes with these episodes... If I didn't like it so much on the first go, I'll actually find it much improved on the second because mm. I'm concentrating on different things. Yeah. But it wasn't really improved. There wasn't a penny to drop. <laughs> no, which is really odd because before, even with Stephen Moffat ones I've not especially liked, when I first saw Pandorica and the Big Bang, I really didn't like those. Mm. And yet now,
2: mm.
0: I absolutely love that story. Mm. I Now that the penny's dropped on that one, pardon me, as you put it, there's me... <laughs> Do my David Tennant impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> now that the penny's dropped on the Big Bang and the Pandorica opens, I love it. Yeah. But Doctor Widow in the Wardrobe, I really tried without the second time, and I really didn't get anything back out of it. No. I just don't know what went wrong. Because it's Stephen Moffat, and you know... There's no guts to it. Yeah, it just kind of feels a bit like a... It feels like There's the no layers. shell of a there, Stephen Moffat all, story yeah. without
1: the... I mean, I'm quite obsessive, and I'll record the series as it goes out, and I'll go back and watch it a couple of times afterwards. I think I recorded it. I didn't actually bother to watch it back because I watched it live, and I just deleted it straight off the hard drive, Mm, mm. which says a lot, really. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I bought it, the DVD. Oh, did you? Yeah, because they had all those extras on from America. Right, yeah, yeah. And so I bought it. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna now next up is curse of the black spot equal last Mm. okay mark you go first on curse of the black spot
1: it was okay i prefer it to (laughs) the uh, previous one because obviously i voted that one higher um trying to think some positives to think of it reminds me a little bit of zones of blood where you've got that kind of um virtual sort of hyperspace reality yeah. going on there two things yeah. going on the same point in space um i maybe in the build-up i built it up a bit too much but i thought it was going to be a real sort of swashbuckler a rip-roaring swashbuckling
2: absolutely pirate yeah, story yeah. Pirates, got of the caribbean. Does
1: pirates yeah and it, it never was really never, got to never gonna be that. no mm.
0: they just don't have the budget to do pirates of the caribbean and I think people who were expecting that were probably, you know, no disrespect, but probably deluding <laughs> themselves a bit. I'm not deluded. <laughs> it was always, pirates like
2: vampires are. It was always going to be a
0: lot less swashbuckling than anybody expected.
2: Yeah. And then it, or, or the only person who got to swash their buckle was Amy. And you just think, oh, God, stop showing off. Please.
0: <laughs> Do you know what, though? I thoroughly enjoyed it because the black spot. Did you? Yeah, I don't know why. Everybody else was going on about I didn't how hate awful it. it. Was.
2: Don't get me wrong, I didn't no. hate it. But, but I really I can sit and watch that it. again. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. But no, I d I don't know, something about you know all that sort of sort of hyperspace stuff or whatever mm. at the end, the sort mm. of Star Trek moment. I don't know, just something about that episode that I just really enjoyed. I think Hugh Bonneville's probably got a lot to do with it. Mm. And Matt Smith's having a whale of the time.
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: And, you know, Amy and Rory, uh, in Series 5, Amy was well over the top, Mm. and Rory was well in her shadow. Mm. And then in Series 6, Karen Gillan calms her performance right down,
1: Mm. Mm.
0: so that she's actually acting, rather than just blustering her way Mm. through the series. And she just clicked for me as a character in this episode, I think.
1: Mm.
0: I think in this episode, you've got just a little bit of the hangover of the old noisy amy but enough of the quiet amy and even my missus said the same thing she said amy's much better this year and i think that was the episode where she said it yeah and i just there's just something about that trio that i think gels in that episode because i don't think they quite had the chance to in the first story the impossible astronauts everybody was running around all over the place Mm. i think curse of the black spot is a bit where they settle down and become a team but then again, that's possibly because Curse of the Black Spot was originally supposed to be in the second half of Series 6, and they bumped it forwards. Mm, all right, So maybe that's the reason why. The reason they bumped it forwards is because it ends in almost exactly the same way as the God Complex, and they were supposed to be, you know, on consecutive Saturdays. Yeah. <laughs> so they obviously realised that wasn't going to fly and shifted one of
2: them. But no, I enjoyed it. Mm, mm. Well, as a story, uh, I always... It's related to Star Trek stories, but it felt like a run of the mill Star Trek episode where you've got the you know, the, the reveal at the end. Am I allowed to say the reveal? Are we spoiling? Are we yeah, taking people have seen it? Yeah. Um, you know, the fact that the old it isn't actually a threat, it's just trying to look after the it's a yeah. doctor bot. Yes. Basically. Yeah, I'm fairly sure I couldn't name names, but there's got there's gotta be a next generation episode that does that surely. That's what it felt like. I tell you what the problem is, if you
0: see it as a problem in Series 6, there are an awful lot of examples of people who are coming in to write the guest episodes. And God Complex is one, and The Girl Who Waited is one, and Curse of the Black Spot is one, where the writers are taking the tropes that Stephen Moffat used to work with when he was writing the one story a year for Russell T. Davis and are working them into their stories and doing the sort of subtle thing that mm. Stephen Moffat used to do. Night Terrors is another brilliant example. So, you've got Stephen Moffat doing the big action adventure episodes that Russell T Davis used to do, mm. now that Stephen Moffat's showrunner, and the guest writers are coming in and doing the Stephen Moffat episodes. Mm. And Curse of the Black Spot is a perfect example. People were expecting swash and buckle and, you know, rip roaring <laughs> adventure. And instead, they got an episode that functions more like The Girl in the Fireplace. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of, you know, I mean, I'm not saying it shares a lot of things in common with that, but, you know, Girl in the Fireplace has got this historical setting with the science fiction setting, and it's all kind of mixed in together. These writers are doing the Stephen Moffat thing, and they weren't doing that in Series 5, and they've started doing that in Series 6. And By the end of Series 6, it becomes very noticeable, now, to me, that's actually a good thing, because I liked that. Because yeah. of the Black Spot, Girl Who Waited, God Complex. I like what those writers are doing there. And I think those three writers are very competent and do it well. Don't do it brilliantly. Don't mm-hmm. do it with the amount of inspiration that Stephen Moffat would have, because they're borrowing his tropes, whereas he was writing his own tropes. So obviously you've got more inspiration when you write into your own template. But they're all doing the Stephen Moffat thing, and I like Who
2: wrote Curse of the Black Spot?
0: Steve Thompson, right? Who wrote? She's the guy who wrote the Sherlock. uh, Yeah, he wrote the last Sherlock, where Sherlock uh, pretends to die.
2: Yeah, and he wrote the middle one in the first series of Sherlock. So he's obviously a very competent writer. Absolutely. I mean, it's not, none of these, none of these episodes are particularly bad. I think, mm. I think people do overreact and they say, "Oh God, it was so awful! I couldn't watch it. I couldn't watch it." Yeah, and it's it wasn't. never that bad. It was. Not- I think
1: series six. I can go back and watch any of those stories. Yes. Perhaps with the exception of "Widow in the Wardrobe." <laughs> Sorry to keep well, on yeah, having it. go on, it's a little bit boring. Yeah, but I, but, you know. Even in the ones I'm not that keen on, I could still go back and find things to like about them.
0: Yes. Well, that's what I was just going to point out. We have well, we've dealt with Doctor Widow and the Wardrobe, and mm. now we're doing our least favourite episode of Series 6, and mm. I've just basically raved about it, haven't I? Mm. So if I'm raving about our least favourite episode of Series 6, that's not a bad place to start. Mm. No. Mm. So, next up, the, the story we voted out of the 12 our third least favourite. Oh, really? Night Terrors. Yeah. Did you
1: like that one?
2: Um... I didn't think it was particularly bad. I really liked it. I thought it was one it. of the better Mark Gatiss stories. I higher, I think,
1: than most of the rest of you guys. Yeah. So there you go.
0: Again, an example of a series six story that collectively we did not
2: like, that mm. actually, individually, we really like. Possibly the scariest
1: mm.
2: element in and, the whole series. And beautifully shot. With the people being turned into dolls. Mm. I think there t- I think as a child, I would have freaked at that. Yeah. I think there were perhaps
0: two, maybe three problems with night terrors that you kind of you know obviously when i sit down and watch an episode i have to consider that as soon as the episode finishes i've got to go in the other room and sit down and bang out a review for starburst magazine right so i tend to watch them with an authorly eye because i'm not looking for problems but i'm looking for angles and so i'm looking at different things than you might do as a normal viewer so obviously obviously night terrors is a remake of Fear Her. It's got all the same yeah, elements. It yeah. does it yeah. in a different way, but it's got all the same elements. Yeah. Even down to the doll's house, they're sort of people getting trapped in the miniature world. Mm. It's just, they get trapped in the drawings in Fear Her. It's exactly the same story. Yeah. So that's obvious. So let's skip past that. We don't need to talk about that. But two other things. One, it is largely set in a doll's house and they waste that location.
2: Mm.
0: Mm. I mean, you know, If you're going to set a story in a doll's house, go to town on the doll's house. Yeah. You know, have the plastic cooking implements and the cooker that's just a toy. That sort of stuff. Didn't do any of that. Okay, there may have been budgetary reasons why they couldn't do much of that, but they didn't actually do any of that, did they? No. Having said that, the peg dolls themselves are absolutely amazing. Yeah. And the bit where Amy Pond turns into that is freaky. Wow,
1: that was. Yeah, just
0: the. Yeah. I think there's a mm -hmm.
1: real sort of um, ominous mood to it. It's very dark. Um, I don't just mean in tone, but I mean the way it's lit. Um, The opening shot the TARDIS arriving on the housing estate where it's kind of the cameras focusing on the the puddle Mm. and it's this sort of orange sodium light that's kind of seeping through everywhere from outside in through the window. I think it's amazing, really beautifully shot. Oh,
0: yeah, cinematography in Mm. Series 6 is absolutely astonishing. And we'll probably talk more about that when we do the God Complex. Mm. That's probably the best-looking Doctor Who episode ever. And it's the cheap one of the season. (laughs) Mm. Um, I was going to say a third problem, perhaps, with Night Terrors, is that Mark Gatiss, for all his other talents, doesn't really write authentic people. No, no. He's very good at writing caricatures. And if you look at League of Gentlemen, you see where that comes from. And if you look at, say, for instance, The Idiot's Lantern, the policeman in The Idiot's Lantern is just caricature of a policeman. Mm -hmm. And when he tries to write the family in The Idiot's Lantern, it's like a caricature of a bullying dad and, you know, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And Night Terrors, for all the good things about it, the characters in that story, you know, the dad who's looking for his kid is a bit bleating and all the
2: other characters.
0: Our are caricature or something.
2: Who's the guy who plays the dad?
1: Fantastic act.
0: Oh, yeah. I can't remember his name. He about. does
1: it. He'd he do it with his hands tied behind his back, I'm couldn't he? I'm not so keen on him, to be honest. Really? <laughs> no, I, I don't know. Exactly I think him. he's really good. He was in Ashes to Ashes, wasn't he? Yes. I forget his name now. I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. Mr. Actor chap. But, yeah.
0: Not. Oh, no. I think he's wonderful. I think he's probably miscast in that part. Yes. I mean, because at the end, and again at the end...
2: Well, wasted in that uh, part.
0: have got Stephen... Yeah, Probably. You've Got another Stephen Moffat trope in a way coming in, in that of Conquer All. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, that's kind of
1: it ties in with the way Stephen Moffat likes to do things. Very much reminded me of the end of um, Empty Empty Child as well. Uh, Yeah. And Dr. Dances. Yeah. It's like the writer
0: on these individual stories in series six, mm. have gone back to one of only four Stephen Moffat stories they could possibly have chosen. Mm. <laughs> so no wonder they all keep coming up with the same ideas yeah. and filched an idea out of it. Mm. And yeah, absolutely. And so this love conquers all thing, which is also in Fear Her, obviously. Yeah. Again. <laughs> but, you know, you know what I'm saying. But it's not the only episode in this series in which love conquers all at the end.
2: No. I think it would have quite a potent effect, as I mentioned earlier, on younger viewers. Though, mm. so you know, it's doing its job. Yeah, and I tell
0: you what, it gets. I think it gets away with it because it's so damned spooky earlier in the episode. Yeah, I mean, the first thirty-five, forty minutes
2: are really, really heavily scary stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the lift. <laughs> mm. As a kid, you are so scared of lifts. Yeah, well, some are anyway. And to
0: finish that up with something clever that the kids wouldn't be able to follow mm. might have been a mistake because then you might have left the kids with all the scariness but without a comprehension about how you beat scariness mm. and, no yeah but you then if you show the kids to... yeah if you show the kids that you can be really scary but actually your parents will protect you yeah and their love will keep you safe mm. actually for me that works really well so mm. actually I was mm. quite pleased with the ending of that one
1: mm. Mm.
0: right i'm going to As soon as we've done three, with three more to go, I'm going to search out another email to read. And this would be from Gary Davison. Uh, He says, Series six, a stronger year overall than series five. A Christmas Carol is probably the best Christmas special since the Christmas Invasion, with the Grand Moff's timey-wimey take on the classic tale and Matt Smith's wonderful performance combined with the standout lines like Christmas Eve, I Saw a Chimney and My Head Nearly Exploded. You can either go over there and talk to the girl or stay in your room and invent a new sort of screwdriver (laughs) and so on and so forth. And, of course, Marilyn, get your coat.
2: Right. Uh, We are
0: doing Christmas Carol with a series five stories because, well, all this will become clear in time.
2: Well, we do it by years, don't we, really?
0: Yeah, we're not going to do that with the Rusty Davis years, though. Oh, okay we're going to do it slightly differently (laughs) but we're doing it with years with Stephen Moffat because it just works out yeah it just works out that way anyway the arc was enjoyable says Gary coming back to series 6 for the most part the doctor's death was a real surprise and the silence another great Moffat invention some genuinely scary scenes and yet more brilliant set pieces River and the TARDIS pool the showdown at the end for example the resolution doesn't really make sense how has the universe and time been fooled that the doctor is dead, even if people believe he is. That doesn't make any sense. But then no. when does Stephen Moffat make sense? As long as he makes enough sense that you're happy to go with a ride, to me I'm not reading Gary's email anymore. I'm talking as a person now. Yeah. <laughs> to me, <clears throat> as long as he makes enough sense that you're prepared to go with it. That's enough. Mm. Uh <clears throat> But again, says Gary, uh, it was great fun getting there. As for the rest of the season, the Doctor's wife was a joy from start to finish, throwing new light on almost 50 years of history, and the girl who waited, similarly throwing Amy's relationship with her Doctor and with Rory into a new light. The weakest episodes were The Curse of the Black Spot. If a single Time Lord's cell is a miracle, why is he fine with the siren taking a sample? And closing time. Cybermen killed by love, really, he says. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But again, these stories had good points. The rebel flesh two-parter was atmospheric but felt a waste as the Tesselector turned out to be a resolution to the cliffhanger. And Let's Kill Hitler was a balmy ride that I hope Series 7 will be more like. And so do I. And we'll be getting Series 7 soon, so, you know... Uh, forgot to say, loved the night and the Doctor and comic relief scenes too. Seeing the almost end of River's story was quite touching. Hopefully pond life will be more of the same. Right, that's Gary. And so, our next story, given that Gary's brought it up, will be... Closing time. Simon, what
2: did you make of closing time? Waste of the side. <clears throat> <head. laughs> Do you really think it was a waste of the Cybermen? Yeah, I do. I think it could be any alien whatsoever under that uh, thing. Nice, nice to see the Cybermats and a nice little twist on them with the real mouths. You know, like, though, I had the complete opposite to that. Mm. I thought he used the Cybermen better than they had been. <clears throat> apologies,
0: in any story since they came back.
2: I like the fact that they wanted to convert Craig. That was was pretty horrible. Mm. It comes back to this transformation thing. Some
0: of the conversion stuff was pretty
2: on the nose and we hadn't really seen that. No.
0: There was a bit of lip service paid to it, more or less, Mm. in the Age of Steel. Mm. But I don't think we'd really seen much of that. We hadn't seen the Cybermen being Cybermen. Mm. And I don't know, I just thought in closing time, we actually saw the Cybermen being Cybermen. I think the problem people had with it was because it was, you know, and it, in effect a sequel to The Lodger, there was a lot of comedy and a lot of Craig and the Doctor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because it was, and again, we're talking about this right after we talked about Night Terrors, but because it was, again, a love saves the day one, people probably had a, a problem. The Cybermen are too strong to be overcome by love, right? Yeah. That's the problem people had with it. And then you kind of... That emotion you get at the end where you react badly to the way the story resolves itself, mm. you kind of imprint it backwards on the rest of the story. Yes. Yeah. yes. So even though I think the side... Met- I, I
1: I thoroughly enjoyed it
0: Up until the end. end. That point. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: really yeah. like the dynamic between Matt Smith and James Corden. I think they work really well oh. together on screen. Oh, brilliant. Um, and I was really looking forward to it and I did enjoy it, but I feel similar to Simon. I just feel the Cybermen have really just become a bit of a joke now, really. And it was almost like they just shoved them in there to get a monster into the story. The tarans Yeah. That's going off topic slightly,
2: but, um, yeah. I, I can I see your I, point, I JR. From... I think you're right. I think you, they need to get back to the guts of the monsters. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm hoping that that's what Asylum of the Daleks did. Yeah. What I will say about the ending of Closing Time is, again um gareth roberts has taken a stephen moffat trope and worked a story around it Mm. but again just like with night terrors i think it's completely justified because the whole thing about the cybermen is they are horrifying and part of what's so horrific about them is the fact that they take a person who has emotions and snip the emotions out yeah yeah and that is a really horrible idea yeah that you never really actually get to see mm, no. in a cyberman story mm, you mm. see what people are like before what people are like afterwards but you don't actually get to see the emotions no being taken out of them no and this is like the one instance with craig where you actually see the process taking place
2: it was quite
1: horrific and him
0: aspects, fighting it you... and winning yeah and I really liked that. That
1: mm. really worked for me. I don't know if it's just me being particularly naive, but for just a moment, I really thought they were going to go with it. And they, yeah. they oh, were going to yeah, go with no it. Yeah, I did. Oh, yes, yes. but
2: they couldn't, they couldn't. No, I know. I know. <laughs> couldn't <laughs> have a fat side man, could they? Oh. I did think, no, but you're right.
0: <laughs> as it was playing out and yeah. I was watching it, you know, just for a second, you mm. do think, oh, my God, are they really going to do this? Yeah. But, yeah, no, it was... I. I still think if we're still in the bottom half of our stories and the stories are these good,
2: this
1: mm. good mm. Couldn't leave Stormageddon without a dad, could you? No, no, that was...
0: <clears throat> By the end of this podcast I'm going to have you two eating your words and saying how much better Series 6 was than Series 5 because you've not complained about any Series 6 story yet Not really
1: uh, No Well, <laughs> There's elements that I do We're fans,
2: we like the show Exactly, yeah Next is the Rebel Flesh. Oh, my God. What kind of an impressionation is that? I (laughs) don't know. Rebel
0: Flesh. This, uh, to me, I think this...
1: Counting the two parts is one story as well. Yes. Yeah, so we're talking Rebel Flesh (laughs) and
0: the Almost People. See, to me, this one was in many ways the weakest story of the series Mm. because I didn't feel that I could go with the characters. And even with things like Curse of the Black Spot and Night Terrors, I still absolutely went with the characters. And this is the one story, I think, where there wasn't a single character outside of the regulars that I really cared about in any way.
1: There are some interesting ideas in there.
0: I'm just talking about the characters. Yeah, no, I don't understand. The story itself Mm. is fantastic. Mm. And yes, there's some brilliant ideas. And yes, it's genuinely got a sense of scale and a sense of place and it really draws you into the story mm. and there's some amazing stuff going on but you if you just don't care about anybody it's hard to care about the story so that's the only one i think in the entire series i've got that kind of a problem with mm. so probably even though i probably didn't mark it at the
1: bottom in
0: many ways that would be my least favorite
1: but I think, yeah, if you look at the certainly a lot of people were drawing parallels with things like Avatar. Um, there's some really great ideas going on in there yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. And this whole thing of you know, the the um, flesh members of the cast, uh, <laughs> for want of a better phrase, um, sort of questioning equal AI rights. Yeah, exactly, things. you know. Um, why don't uh, they have the right to live their life as much as their human host and that sort of thing? I thought that was there's some really interesting um, political kind of thoughts coming out on that, and I thought that was a an interesting story on that level. But yeah, you're right. I think the you don't buy into the characters, and I think it weakens the story from that respect. Especially yeah. with, as, as
2: the, the the kind of hinge point, the drama hinge point on it is all about character. Yeah, exactly. It is all about. It's, the soul and it's, yeah. the personality, and um, yeah. And if you don't care any more about the real
0: humans than the fake humans, or you don't care any more about the fake humans than the real humans, you just don't really care about any of them. No, it's very difficult to. I mean, if you're going to do something where you're asking a serious question in a not very serious story, you know, if you're doing a, an allegory mm. in science fiction, you've got to make people care to question whether their feelings are right. But mm. if you're not getting people to care, mm. you're not getting people to ask the right questions. Uh-oh.
2: Did anyone
1: shed a tear when the, the flesh doctor died at the end?
2: I don't think
1: no. Or any of the characters. No. Having said some... that, you've got the dynamic between the three regulars and there's a, that moment where the doctor's got Amy pretty much by the throat up against the wall and you're thinking, oh yeah, that's the Ganger," And then it turns out it's actually the doctor and you think, Wow. Yes. Okay. It does kind of make you stop and think. Oh, there's
2: so there's some lovely set pieces, you know, the 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 gang of doctor all of a sudden coming out with Tom Tom Baker's voice and, yeah. and things the stuff that you want to see in, you know, and you know the writer said, oh, we can yeah. do this, we can do that, and I'll slot this and I'll slot this in. Mm. But it's almost like you need to work backwards from that and make sure that there's a core story that works in its in its own right, and then you can add those little flourishes as as the hundreds and thousands on top of the cake. You know, it's um Yeah, if the gut's not there and it's not
0: I think the problem with also this story is that the cliffhanger to the first episode where the ganger doctor walks out is kind of signposted right from the start of the story. Yeah, yeah.
2: As
0: soon as you know it's about doubles, you know that there's going to be a double of one of the regulars. And from about 10 minutes before the end of the episode, it becomes pretty obvious that it's the doctor. Mm. I think it might even be 20 minutes. It takes an imprint of him, doesn't it? Mm. And from that point forwards, you know the Doctor's coming. So although it then becomes about anticipation, in the same way as in Utopia, it becomes anticipation about um, Derek Jacobi unveiling himself as the Master, it doesn't have the excitement. No. So that when you get there, it's kind of an, okay, we got there.
2: Yeah.
0: Instead yeah. of a, oh, wow, we got there. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: So that kind of... Then got overshadowed by the following week having a cliffhanger that made you not care about any of the previous 85 minutes. And coming out of the second half of that episode, all anybody could talk about in the pub that night was Amy pregnant in the box.
2: Yeah. Mm.
0: (laughs) And so it's kind of, I know why they put that cliffhanger there. Mm. Same as with the cliffhanger at the end of closing time. Yeah. And I like the fact that Stephen Moffat's kind of—he's got a real sort of sixties, eighties thing going on with his Doctor Who, where he'll take bits of inspiration from each of those two decades, mm. and he's got a real sort of yeah. Hartnell thing, where the stories are ending in cliffhangers into the next one, which is great, but you don't really want the cliffhanger to overshadow the story, no. which is what I almost felt like got. there's a sense
1: that the they kind of came up the cliffhanger first, and then built the story around it. Yeah. Maybe oh, that shows probably how little I know about writing, but yeah, because cliffhanger doesn't have anything to do with the story. Oh, do you mean the cliffhanger no, at the end of
2: yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, to, to, that
0: you That wouldn't surprise reveal, me, yeah. really, to be honest. Mm.
2: I think if they're going to do something like that, it should stick it after the credits.
0: Mm. Oh, so you're it's, talking it's... about the
2: second cliffhanger now?
0: I got you two of you either side <laughs> of me talking about different <laughs> cliffhangers. <laughs> One thing I'll say about it is I don't I think the thing that inspired that story was not the cliffhanger. Well, in a way it was, but Stephen Moffat is building up to a finale episode in which the whole audience knows that the Doctor's going to somehow have a double. So he's giving you red herrings throughout the series as to how that double's going to be. Mm. Is it going to be Doctor coming back into time? So there's two actual Doctors. Is it going to be the Tesselector? Is it going to be a Ganger? So really the reason why the Rebel Flesh exists this is a red herring for mm. The Wedding
1: of River Song Because they drop in that line, don't they, about, oh, I'm not sure he might come back at some point or something along those lines. Yeah. And then, of course, so you go into The Wedding of River Song, and
0: mm-hmm. when he does that, oh, I've got an idea how I can get out of this, you're thinking, is he going back
1: to the gangers, or is he going back to the tesselector, or is he just going back on his own timeline? I know we shouldn't really be talking about this one because that's going to be in another episode, but <laughs> for me... The whole final episode was ruined because, as soon as you get the recap at the start, and they make a point of showing you the test selector, you just think, there you go, that's how that's resolved, yeah, <laughs> straight away, yeah, unfortunately, right, finally, then, of
0: these six, um no, actually i'm going to go back and read a textual message from Lee, who couldn't make it to tonight 's episode, obviously he's in the box with Stephen Moffat, but he did send me a text about. One of the stories we were talking about just now, and I forgot to read it out when we got there, so I'm going to read it out now instead. Uh, oh, okay. Hello, my name is Lee. If the opening stories were like the spaceship scene in Trial of a Time Lord, then the Curse of the Black Spot was the crappy corridor and trial room (laughs) immediately afterwards. (laughs) I hate Curse with a passion. Pirates were nasty. They could have had great, tense, scary episode with a scary mermaid that didn't have to be technology gone wrong. I want a baddie again. Thank goodness for the very underused Madame Vorian, or whatever the hell her name was. <laughs> I want a villain to shout boo at. Bring back the master. Mm. Hello, my name was Lee. Well, I know we got on to uh, Rebel Flesh and we did Curse the Black Spot Apologies to all our listeners. <laughs> that was Lee in the box with the Welshman with the Scotsman
1: <laughs> in <laughs> Wales
2: he's actually in Cornwall isn't he so don't get started on that oh don't don't spoil I'm oh, sorry ruin the illusion Ruin the illusion yeah okay last which ironically where they filmed Curse of the Black Spot yes in Cornwall yes, yes. they did
0: mm. right you can do some of your wibbly wobbly ed- uh, wibbly wobbly editing skills and put that email from Lee back in the point of the episode oh, where okay. I was supposed to read it out yep Okay, so last story we're going to talk about tonight will be, and this is our, just one below halfway in our favourites from series six, is Let's Kill Hitler. Okay. But before we do, for 60 seconds, I am putting Mark on the spot, and he is going to be talking about partners in crime.
1: Okay, so it's the first episode of season four. Donna comes back. Lots of silly little lardy aliens trying to take over the world. Um, I really like the comedy moments, the bit where is looking through the round window in the door and they kind of clock each other. That's really funny. I really like that. Um, and it sets up a better version of Donna in my impression, uh, in my sort of take on it. Um, the Runaway Bride just left me fairly cold, but i really warm to that companion. I think she was probably the strongest one of the modern series, in my opinion. Uh, Going back to the story, um, what else did we have? They're kind of dropping in mentions of planets going missing, which we're going to feature later in the final episode to sort of tie it all up. Uh, Guest appearances by some bird off of Coronation Street. Um... And that's about your minute. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's kill
2: Hitler. Those, those sorry, the, the ones on. in Partners and Cru- they should have called them the Lardons, shouldn't they? Oh. The Lardons. The Lardons, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> We've got a PG. I'm radio. not being rude. No, no, I'm not being he, rude. bits of bacon.
1: Yeah.
0: Whose bits of bacon? Bits of bacon oh, are called Lardons. Are oh, they? They? I'm not being rude. Oh, are they? Ignoramus. Okay. I know nothing about it. Do you not watch bacon. MasterChef? No, I do not watch MasterChef.
2: I'll bet the Great British Bake Off. No, I don't watch that oh, I either. Should. it's brilliant. We okay. love it, don't we, Simon? We do. Yeah.
0: Okay, maybe they should have called them the rind. No. No. Okay, but that's also bacon, isn't it? Yeah.
2: Okay. <laughs> the pork <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're talking about let's kill mm, Hitler. Yes. Yes. Well, I don't think
2: either of you voted this terribly high. No. Great title. Yeah, brilliant title. And again, elements of it are brilliant. Uh, Mm. But like I say, Melody.
1: I wanted more Melody. And less River.
2: Yes. And you,
1: Mark? Um, Yeah, I could have have stood a bit more screen time for Melody. I think she was... I think it's Alice Kingston. She's gorgeous.
0: Well, yeah, she is. She is. I found mm. Melody just too brash and too noisy, and I was quite happy to see the back of her.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But I have to say, I, and, you know, this is a bit of a Marmite episode by itself, I absolutely loved it. I just thought, you know, I, I in my review, I gave it a 10 out of 10. Okay. But not because I thought it was perfect, because I, I could see there were masses of imperfections, But I just enjoyed it so much Mm. that I just thought it would be churlish not to score, you know, what my enjoyment level was. And i got to say, I don't think I've ever enjoyed an episode as much as I've enjoyed some of Stephen Moffat's episodes in Series 6. And Let's Kill Hitler was one
1: of them. I think the bit where she talks about going to a gay disabled bar mitzvah was quite amusing. and (laughs) Get shot by lots of Nazis and kills them off by using her regeneration energy that was pretty cool yeah there's some nice moments um but yeah it's i don't know it just kind of felt a little bit like he was throwing lots of ideas at the wall and seeing what was going to stick i don't know i thought all the ideas
0: were perfectly judged to tell the story that was being told okay it's a very arc heavy episode Mm. and a lot more so than you think you're going to get going in when you go into let's kill hitler you are expecting a discrete story with a few arc elements. And then what happens is you actually get an arc story with almost no discrete elements apart from the fact that it's set in Nazi Germany. Mm -hmm. And it's just part of the arc. There's almost nothing in it that isn't part of the arc, which some people didn't like because they didn't think You know, it shouldn't have been a discreet story. It doesn't behave like any other episode, does it? No, absolutely. And I think that's one of the great things about it. Mm. I think Let's Kill Hitler is Stephen Moffat running to the hills with his own... It almost feels like a bridge episode. It is a bridge episode. There's no question about it. And so was A Good Man Goes to War. Yes. But I think what Stephen Moffat's doing is having the confidence of his convictions and doing something he couldn't do in series five. Isn't that in saying, okay let's have an episode that's a bridge episode and let's embrace the fact that it is and go with it. Mm. And Let's Kill Hitler is, from the start, it's Stephen Moffat celebrating his own newfound confidence in giving us an a chapter in the bigger story that is part of the book rather mm. than being a short story. You know what I'm saying? It's a yeah. chapter in a yeah. book mm. rather than a short story because it doesn't feel
2: bookended it doesn't feel like it could it operates as a an entity in its own right
0: it's got some which
2: which obviously mm. leads to the decision he's made with this latest series as far as we can tell you know with the idea of these it's standalone. gone the other way now, yeah, yeah yeah we think
0: yeah um you as a listener will probably know by now but we are gonna only say we think so at this point <laughs> but i think that's right um it it not just operates like a chapter in a book as opposed to a short story in a collection, and it not only shows Stephen Moffat being uber-confident with that, but it kind of it flatters the audience in a way by hitting them with so many arc things and expecting them to run with it and allowing mm-hmm. them not to be confused. Because I think every element that comes in is explained enough that you can understand why it's there. Like the bit where the doctor does die and River Song uses her regenerations and gives them to him so that she can't have them in silence of the library and regenerate at the end of that story. Right. You don't need to know that because it's explained in the episode, kind of. You just kind of need to know that River Song can't have regenerations and the doctor needs them and all this kind of stuff. There's nothing in it that you you can't, There's nothing in Let's Kill Hitler that you can't sit down and watch it by itself and enjoy, Mm. even if you Mm. don't completely understand. And I think that's what Stephen Moffat's finally doing really well in series six that he didn't do so well in series five. Series five, a lot of the Stephen Moffat episodes left you at the end thinking, you know, and I'm thinking of the Angels two-parter as well because of all the cracks in time stuff that was in there. And going back to the 11th hour where the cracks in Amy's wall where stuff was coming out, stuff was going in, who knew what was going on. Mm. There was a lot of stuff in series five in the Stephen Moffat episodes that left me thinking at the end of the episode, uh, left me feeling unfulfilled.
2: Yes, yes.
0: Whereas in series six, even though here's an episode, Let's Kill Hitler, which is completely unfulfilling because it's just a chapter in a bigger story and it doesn't round up any story yeah. And it doesn't start off any story. It just tells you something that happens in the middle, but at the same time, I found it completely fulfilling because you know, you of where a, you're it's going absolutely and right.
2: From. And it's it's fascinating, really, because <clears throat> you write in as much as when when we, when I was watching it, it was an absolute ride, and I came to the end of it and thought, did I enjoy it? Yes, it did. You asked me to look at it as a story compared to other stories, and you cannot treat it in the same way. No. And we come from, particularly as fans, we come from a series and we treat the series in its own, in its little stories. Yeah. And we don't treat it as a series. And we treat it in a bubble as well. We, we do. don't treat it like we treat any other telling. No, absolutely not. And so to try and it, it's, well, to go back to what somebody said as a criticism is it's behaving like a soap opera in it's one long story. But that's actually a good thing because that's part of what keeps your casual viewer. Well, I hope um, it doesn't happen all
0: the time, but yes. Yeah, yeah. But you're, you know, people use that expression casual viewer. Right. By casual viewer, I do not mean somebody who might catch an episode of Doctor Who one week and then not bother the next. By casual viewer, I mean somebody who will watch every episode of Doctor Who once on transmission mm. and then never again. And that's 95% of the audience. Yeah. of people who watched Let's Kill Hitler watched it just that once and have never watched it again. And it's big and it's bold and it's fun and they know it's telling a chapter in a story that they've seen the start of and will watch the end of and it's in your face fun enough that it gets away by being just a chapter because it's entertained them enough. And here's the thing. Stephen Moffat's ideas
1: don't always, don't ever
0: make any sense I mean you look at the weeping angels Mm. I've said this many times they kill people by zapping them into the past and then feeding on the energy that they would have had in the life that they would have lived here if they weren't living it You know, 60 years ago, makes no sense whatsoever, nothing about the weeping angels makes any logical sense, but it makes plenty of fairy tale sense, plenty of magical sense, has enough of an internal logic about it that it's fun and you give it the space. You go Mm. with it. You're prepared to suspend your disbelief for it. Series 6, Let's Kill Hitler, Good Man Goes to War, Wedding of Riversong. I think they work perfectly for the 95% of the audience who only watch their stories once because it's only those of us who go back and watch them time after time and say, well, actually the Riversong storyline doesn't quite pan out. The guy who's just watching the episode once doesn't see that the story doesn't pan out. Mm. He knows that River Song's got some weird kind of backwards relationship with the Doctor and that she can regenerate, but then she's not supposed to regenerate because we have seen her die. All this kind of stuff. To him Mm. or her, you know, the River Song storyline makes perfect sense because every episode she's in, they give you enough information that by the end of the episode, everything that she needed to have worked out has worked out. Mm. And that's how all Stephen Moffat stories work. I mean, if you take Blink apart, it's an absolute nonsense. Let's
2: let's face it, we as fans and, well, the majority of fans, certainly the ones who are critical of Stephen Moffat, will attack the series in such a way as they expect it to be a certain way. And let's face it, it's a series that pushes the edges of its template. Mm. It hasn't got a template. No. And that That's is the beauty, the beauty of it. Of it. That is the beauty of it. Yeah. And it's idiotic to think that it should behave in one particular way. The people who are, are uber-critical of Stephen Moffat um, will like say... Like something else that comes along later. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But um, to, be, to be critical of, of it because it's behaving differently from what you expect, it doesn't actually... And what I up, liked does
0: about it? it was that Stephen Moffat's always liked to push the envelope. Yeah push at the boundaries of what Doctor Who can do. And in season series five, I thought he was just sort of nudging at those boundaries. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the standalone stories he'd done with Russell T Davis, we'd seen him tearing the envelopes up. So why in series five, the earlier episodes, was he just pushing? Because the 11th hour was like a Russell T Davis story with a Stephen Moffat script. Mm. It was like a halfway house. It was like a nothing of an episode. Mm. And then in series six, he throws Let's Kill Hitler and A Good Man Goes to War and The Wedding of Riversong in our faces and says, this is what I do. And this is how much fun Doctor Who can be. And this is how wild and how ridiculous and how amazing
2: this series can be. Deal with it. So let's go back to the previous email. Is this going to, with the series behaving this way, is it going to kill the series? No, it's going to get
0: bigger and bigger and more and more popular. I really honestly think it will, because Mm. as I was saying just now about that 95%, there's so much in those episodes that flatters them because the episodes are deceptively complicated. Actually, they're pretty simple. River Song storyline and the Doctor storyline, they're going in reverse directions. Mm. It's not difficult to understand, particularly when it's presented as entertainingly as Stephen Moffat does it. Mm. But at the end of a Stephen Moffat, Moffat episode you know, your average person's actually thinking, oh, that was really tricky, but actually I got it. Mm. And so it flatters people. Because ratings-wise, it's actually done quite well, isn't it? Well, the actual overnight ratings are slightly down, but then the, if you add in iPlayers and whatever, more people are watching Doctor Who now than ever. Yeah. Which is, given that Matt Smith is playing a particularly nerdy version of the Doctor, and they're very careful not to go nerdy when they brought the Doctor back in
1: 2005, that's a spectacular result. Mm, mm. and also I don't think you can judge it by overnights anymore really the whole way that people view TV Unless. has changed not just iPlayer but you know stuff like Sky Plus or you know PVR recorders you watch it when Divo, you want to watch it. Yeah, and everything exactly. else. yeah exactly mm.
2: it's um, I, once again going back to us as fans I think we just get very nervous of it behaving in a way that's different it, yeah, with, I, we, we live in perpetual uh, fear of losing it again don't we and I think I that's where these opinions and I think, and you know, we're going to talk about
0: Wedding of River Song in the next episode. But I think with the Wedding of River Song, he absolutely nailed Doctor Who. I absolutely adored that episode. Really? Yeah, I just, and you know, I can talk about that now because I think that fits in perfectly with Let's Kill Hitler. It's just big mad ideas that don't really make any sense, presented in a way that by the time you get to the end of the episode, you think they have making sense. You think they've made sense and that's enough. Because if you're only going to watch it, the once. Can you pull back from that, though? Because it was so mad. Yeah, but then you can because it doesn't have to be that mad every week. If you look at Let's Kill Hitler, what was on the next week? Night Terrors. Mm, mm. And then the week after that, The Girl Who Yeah, we have very
2: short memories, don't we?
0: Yeah, well, there's a week in between. This is the point. If you were watching all the episodes stacked up once again, one against each other, Mm. you might start having problems with it. But by the time, you know, 167 hours and 15 minutes has gone by, you're prepared for something a bit different.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, watching two episodes of Doctor Who that are completely different on the trot is not really that different from, you know, random example, watching the one o'clock
2: news followed by an episode of Doctors. You know. Do you know what? I love the fact that, regardless of whether I think it's right or not, because it's all about the individual anyway. I love the fact that Stephen Moffat is shaking things up enough that it's
1: pissing people off.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> if I'm honest. I'm sure Douglas Adams said somewhere that uh, it's important that you should annoy your fans. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. I.
0: <sighs> <clears throat> he reminds me a bit of Douglas Adams, Stephen Moffat does,
2: with the comedy and the wackiness of some of the ideas. Going back to, I always make musical analogies because I'm a music bore, but going back to say... The Beatles. Beatles, or yeah, or Bob Dylan playing the electric guitar, pissing people well, off. Well,
0: This is, I mean, um, series six to series five was revolver, series six is Sgt. Pepper's. Mm.
2: The series five was where they <laughs> <laughs> don't go, don't, don't go too far. Right. <laughs> no, series, I know what you mean.
0: Revolver is the Beatles pushing the boundaries, yes. and starting to show a hint of you know, the wildness that yep, was to come. Yep. Sergeant Peppers is just them going mad and having a riot. Yeah. And Series 5 is Stephen Moffat pushing at the edges and then from the Pandorica Opens to the Wedding of I think he's let,
2: he's 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 just having a ball. Man, he's flown forward because Doctor grew a beard. So that's Let It Be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Stephen, no, absolutely. Well, I was, was going to use <laughs> I was going to use the analogy of I hated you two up until Acton and Baby. And that album was amazing. Mm. Mm. They just went out there and yeah. did something completely different and pissed off the fans. So I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. So, you know, for Doctor Who to do the same thing, go for it. And all the intelligent fans kind of... <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. Oh, God. <laughs> that was the episode in which
0: we talked about our least favourite stories from 2011.
2: Yeah, uh, We've pretty much raved about them, really. Well you try and see the good in things, don't you?
0: Well, are you feeling pretty much the same as you were about season
2: six series six when we started, or are you a bit <sighs> better disposed towards I b- I can appreciate it a lot more than I than I did. But then you were you were asking I was asking the listener actually. <laughs> oh, sorry.
0: I wasn't really. Uh... I'm just gonna call it a night because it's getting on. Yeah. So uh Mark, any final thought on what we've spoken about so far? <laughs> Why is everybody laughing at me. Oh, well, no, 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 I was. Like
2: I had a thought I'm about just about, anything, about some right? of the stupid things I've said. <laughs> not, not stupid well, you, things. You, but... you
1: said it yourself, you know, these were our not so favorite episodes, but you know, we're getting to the end of the program tonight and it's all been very positive, I think. Well, they've all With,
0: been interesting. Yeah. I think the only one that we really not liked was the Doctor of Widow and Widow in the
2: Wardrobe, as much as I wanted to like it.
0: Yeah, a bit. Of, no, no, we've gone to a, Now we're going back to a negative space at the end of the episode when we were jolly up on there. Uh, let's kill Hitler. <laughs> so let's finish up. I was JR. I was Mark. I was Simon. <laughs> and I was Lee.
2: Contact us by email via blueboxpodcast at yahoo.co.uk.
1: So